You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Man, if you can't preach after that song, preaching is not for you. Good morning, my name is Dean. It's good to gather here together today as we go through the book of Acts. We started it the first of the year, and we're going to be going through this book verse by verse until we're finished. It's going to be a pretty long time, but it allows us to really see the big picture of what God's doing and God's story uh, of how he sends his message, the story of his love and grace and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. And we're recipients of the good news of what happened in Acts. So before I pray, uh, I also want to, I want to acknowledge uh, a good a longtime friend and mentor of mine, uh, Pastor Bob Evans and his wife Debbie. Uh, Bob was a longtime pastor of Wildwood Presbyterian Church, had an incredible ministry here. Now he's retired and live in North Carolina. He's here this morning. So Bob and Debbie, I just want to honor you all. Will you please stand up wherever you are? I don't even know where they are. Will you stand up? There they are, the Evans family. Welcome back. It's great to have you in Tallahassee. Thankful for both of you. Uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that. I'm not sure I would be a pastor if it wasn't for Bob's influence on my life. Uh, so it means a lot to have each of both of you here today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so thankful for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we declare as a church this morning that you are worthy. I thank you for the local church, and I ask you with every church as they gather this morning in our city, that the gospel be proclaimed, the good news of Jesus from every pulpit in this town, that you keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city. I thank you for Bob and for Debbie. I thank you for their ministry here in Tallahassee for so long. I thank you for Bob's impact on my life and how you used his ministry uh, to really reach many people in Tallahassee for many years. And I'm just grateful for that. And Lord, I ask that we can see more people reached in Tallahassee, more disciples made, more people understand who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And as you speak through me this morning, that we'll be people who can hear your word, receive your word, that you'll open our eyes to know who you are and what you've done. Lord, we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Also, oops, don't forget our men's dinner is tomorrow night at 6.30. Men's gathering, dinner, I forgot to say that. That's tomorrow night. Got that? Good. Okay. So be here tomorrow night for the men's dinner. Uh, we've been starting Acts chapter 1, verse 8 every week because this is the big picture idea of what's happening here. Uh, right before Jesus ascended to heaven, as we talked about last week, he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, starting here at home, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here's what's incredible. We are the story of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Like, we are here in Tallahassee right now able to understand and believe this good news because the Holy Spirit empowered believers who were given the marching orders by Jesus to go to the ends of the earth, and now we're still called to this day to continue to take the gospel to where it has never been heard to the ends of the earth. So the question being asked really in Acts, being answered, I should say, for these believers is what is it going to look like for us to follow Jesus and be a faithful Christian after Jesus has risen from the grave and ascended into heaven? They actually got to see him in the flesh. They got to actually see him perform miracles, saw him die, saw him resurrected, saw him ascended, like actual in physical form. We don't get that luxury. So the same question they were trying to figure out is the same question that we must respond to today. How do we live for Christ when he's not physically here? And the answer is going to be based on what we believe to be true about Jesus. We believe to be true about Jesus Christ is how we're going to answer what faithfulness looks like for us. So we're going to start in verse 15 today. That's where we left off. And we're going to keep going through a little bit of chapter 2 uh, here this morning. So we see this in chapter 1, verse 15. So the ascension just happened. They just prayed together. They're united in prayer. And he says this, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters, so among the family of God, the number of people were together was about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, 
It was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So in the gospel stories, Judas, as was predicted by David the psalmist, betrayed Jesus for money. He sold him out, led people to arrest him, and it looked like maybe at that time for just the the human eye that the gospel story was not going to happen, that Jesus maybe wasn't the one he claimed to be, that maybe God's plans had been sidelined just by our human minds thinking these sort of things, uh, because the Messiah being arrested and dying, that wasn't registering with these people at that time. So there were 12 disciples originally, and now there's only 11, so another one needs to be chosen. And why is that? Well, because the 12 tribes of Israel, symbolic Israel, need to be united. Here's God continuing to fulfill his promises to his people, that the gospel is to the Jew first, and the apostle title, though, to realize the apostle title does not exist anymore. They were very, it was a very unique title for those who had seen Jesus from the beginning, who saw him rise again, and it's not one to be replicated after the 12 are in place. Uh, James was executed, as an example, uh, by, uh, for an example, by Herod, and no one took his place. So after these marching orders happen and this next disciple is chosen, the symbolic 12 tribes of Israel have been united. He says this, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us from among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So he gives a criteria to be an apostle. Now, every single person who witnessed the resurrection is not an apostle, but to be an apostle, you have to witness the resurrection. So they propose two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, you, Lord, know everyone's heart. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs, which is eternity apart from God, punishment. Then they cast lots, as the Old Testament predicted they would do and called them to do, for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, why is this significant? Why does this matter? It's like, I'm sitting here in 2023, you got a lot going on, why does this matter? Well, a couple of things. One, we see that God is fulfilling that spiritual Israel, but also of significance is the understanding that Judas and the devil could not stop God's plan. That evil ultimately doesn't win. That God's sovereignty and his plan to redeem a people to himself is going to keep going forward and going forward and going forward, and no scheme of Satan can stop that. We see this in the book of Romans, for I am persuaded, Romans 8, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor a height, nor depth. And then he basically says, in case I forgot anything, not nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord that this good news of God's love will go out to the world to hear. The book of Acts uses the word fulfilled 16 times. The word fulfilled takes place. And this is here, one, to show that God is keeping his promise, that he is sovereign, but also that he, to encourage the church. That what's happening now right in front of you is all part of God's plan. Like you're living in the fulfillment. Yes, persecution is going to come your way, but you are living out God's design for his church that's been promised for generations right in front of you. And then we see how that's actually going to happen when we get to Acts chapter 2. James Dunn, a theologian, wrote this. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no story to tell. 
that we're going to see in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit come down. It's important to know this is not the beginning of the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. The Holy Spirit has always existed. Uh, God is self-existent. Uh, so it's sometimes easy to read this and think it's the first time the Holy Spirit came on the scene. That is definitely not true. But we're seeing the Holy Spirit now fill and dwell in the believers. So we're going to see God's people in chapter 2 who were being, who were being gathered before they're scattered. This big ambitious mission, go therefore to all the world, to the ends of the earth, and take the gospel news to them. But first he's going to gather his people together. And we see this in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost, which is an annual feast they would have celebrated, we'll talk about it in a minute, had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Some of you are like, of all the times to come for the, to come for the first time. Uh, I promise it's not going to be as strange as it sounds. And now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. What a story, what a sight, what a scene. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Well, how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues or language. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying this to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. That must be the explanation. Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. Peter has clearly never been to FSU on St. Patrick's Day. That's another story for another time. On the contrary, this is what is spoken through the prophet Joel. As in what's happening in front of you is nothing new. Yes, it's new in the sense that it's happening for the first time, but it's what has been predicted from long before. See, at the end of the book of Luke, and Luke also wrote the book of Acts, the disciples are told to wait in Jerusalem. Jesus instructed them to do that until power comes from on high. So they're probably going, well, how is that even going to take place? Like, power is, is you, Jesus. We've seen you feed 5,000 people. We've seen you heal a blind man. We've seen you told a person who couldn't walk to get up and take their mat and walk. Like, we saw, we've saw you die and thought maybe it was all a fairy tale, but then we saw you rise again. Like, 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 so imagine them sitting here going, wait a second, Jesus already left. Like, a few verses before, he ascended to heaven, as we said in the creed. So how are we going to have power when the one we know of is the one who lets us do all things is gone? Well, all that is taken up to God in the ascension of Jesus Christ is now brought down again to God's people by the Holy Spirit. That it's now happening right in front of them. And some history to understand it, Jewish festivals 
Uh, they were told the history uh, of, the, of God's dealing with the Jewish people, but ultimately pointed people to the coming Messiah, the work of Christ. And there were three primary feasts. The first one was the Passover, which celebrated redemption from Egypt, to come together and remember and celebrate and commemorate that, that God led his people out of slavery of Egypt. Uh, and then the next one is Pentecost, which is about God's care and provision for his people while they were in the wilderness. And then we see the Feast of Booths, which is God dwelling with his people through an actual tent of meeting, as it was called then. So Pentecost, the second feast, was tied to Sinai, which is the place where Moses received the law, where he received the Ten Commandments. That word penta gives us 50, the number 50, 550. It was 50 days after Passover that this would take place, and this feast would gather all of Israel together in one place. So now, as Moses had gotten the law and we celebrate Pentecost, how he had gotten the law written on stone. Now, because of the Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost, they're going to be empowered to follow God from their hearts. And not simply through rule keeping, but through actually God dwelling with them and them knowing and being in a relationship with God. The law wasn't a bad thing. It was what God gave us. It was pointing us ultimately to our need for the Lord. But it was very much don't do this and do this. But now we're empowered to actually live for God based on what comes from our hearts that he is changing and transforming. So the spirit was given for the whole world, not like the law that was specifically for Israel. So then the rest of Acts really is the process of them understanding what happened that day in Acts 2. They couldn't believe the gospel would now be for all people, that it would extend to the Gentiles and all who will come to believe. See, at Sinai in the Old Testament, we saw 3,000 people die in their rebellion. And then in Pentecost here, in just a little bit, we're going to see, we'll cover in a couple weeks, in the book of Acts, 3,000 people receive life and become believers in Jesus Christ because the gospel has been shared. So here in Acts, the people are hearing a message about God in their own primary language, and they're astonished by it. Maybe they knew a little bit of history and were trying to maybe remember something that had taken place similar, but the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, people trying to build this great structure for their own glory, to make their name great, try to build themselves to heaven, there was only one language being spoken. They used it for their glory. And what does God do? He messes with their languages. New languages all of a sudden happen, and he scatters the people. So it goes from one language, trying to build glory for ourselves, to multiple languages and confusion. But at Pentecost here, to unify his people, he gives them the gift of language now for his glory. In Babel, it's impossible to communicate. But in Pentecost, now they actually can communicate. And notice what unites them. It's not their ethnicity. It's not their language. It's not who their dad was, where they come from. What unites them is what they believe to be true about Jesus. The language they are now speaking is one that glorifies God and not themselves. See, in, we also then see fire on the scene, and fire indicates throughout the Bible the presence of God. So what's going to happen here, God's presence is coming to the believers, and the whole point of this happening here is not for just a personal experience or a personal moment for the believer, but so all together can go and tell the mighty works of God and be empowered to do it. Because visions and dreams are really the primary way people heard from God in the Old Testament. Only certain people would receive them. 
prophets who would tell what God has said. But now all people would receive the word of God through the Holy Spirit, allowing them to proclaim God's word. That it would be for all people. Then in the past, maybe God spoke through dreams, through visions, but now he would speak to people once and for all by the scriptures that point us ultimately towards the work of Jesus Christ. Everyone will receive it. Reverend Lucas, a longtime pastor of St. Helens in London, he wrote about this chapter that it destroys the classes in one stroke. Destroys all classes in one stroke. There are one people, and it's the people of God. Think about the most, maybe the greatest Christian you've ever known. Maybe grandma comes to mind, or a Sunday school teacher, or Tim Tebow, I don't know. Think of the greatest Christian that you've ever known. And what comes to mind is how maybe they just seem so close to God, they seem like they really understood and cared and were passionate about it. Here's what's amazing. The person that comes to mind when you think, who's the greatest Christian I've ever known, they have no more or special access to God than you do. Why? Because the same spirit that is in them is the same spirit that's in you. Like we said last week, Jesus right now reigns as our prophet, our priest, and our king. So we all have equal access to God. There are no spiritual classes in this room. It is one people united in one confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. So to explain this, Peter stood up with the 11, verse 14, and read that again, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews, and it's important that it can be explained Like what's happening here actually can be explained. And that really matters to us here. It's not chaos that's taking place. Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. As in God wants us to hear and understand. Those people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. There's not a noon kickoff. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Again, fulfilled that word again. And it will be in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people when your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will see dreams. I'll even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon blood before the great and glorious days of the Lord comes. Then, and my favorite verse is in all the Bible, because this is happening, Because the Spirit is being poured out to enable the Word of God to go forward through the telling of the good news, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, saved from what? Saved from God's just punishment towards sin. That God is a holy God, and He won't let let sin go unpunished. What kind of God would that be? We can't try to work our way back into His good graces, because it doesn't erase the fact that we have still sinned. But our holy God is also a gracious God. And rather than punishing us as our sins deserve, Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live, died a death that we deserved, taking on God's penalty. And what is our response to that? It's to actually receive Christ and believe by faith and repentance, turning from our old ways to God by the grace given to us in Jesus Christ, for us to believe by faith together that he actually is the one he claimed to be. And that caring, loving God, here's what Jesus told us. He told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you. My friend Sam Alberry writes this. He's not saying he won't leave us. He will. And he did. He's saying he won't abandon us. 
We will be physically without him since the ascension. That's been reality for believers. But we won't be on our own. For the Christian, we are never by ourselves, even when it feels like it. The Spirit will be with you, that you will never and I will never experience a single moment of the Christian life truly alone, even when it feels like it. Not because God's an imaginary friend, not because we're superstitious, not because we're looking for a crutch to make us feel better, but because God is with us. He dwells with his people by the Spirit. You'll never experience a moment alone. On your greatest days, on your deepest days of anxiety, depression, whatever it could be, you are never actually alone. Jesus said on another occasion, I am with you always before he gave the Great Commission, or after he did, to the ends of the age. This is how. This is how he is with us, by the Spirit, God himself. And by the Spirit, God himself comes to dwell in every single believer. Every Christian is the dwelling place of God. It's not temples anymore, but it's people. So reading the scriptures that our bodies are, are, are God's temple, they're temples of the Holy Spirit, that is not talking about you know, doing yoga and eating vegetables. You know, that might be very helpful. What it means is that God actually dwells in his people. So what's going on here? Why is this taking place? They're not drunk, as others try to accuse them of. What's happening here, this is the how, H-O-W, the how of Acts 1-8. This is how these marching orders and this gospel and this good news would go forward. So Peter starts with Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, where the prophet looked forward to the last days when God would grant new covenant blessings and pour out his spirit on his people. Trevor Lawrence, not the quarterback, wrote this, no longer will the spirit only dwell on special anointed leaders. He'll be with and within young, old men, women, slave, and free, every covenant community member. As in, you do have everything it takes to live your life for Christ. Not because of you, but because of who is within you. And we're going to see the results. And one day, we're going to see in a couple of weeks, the church grew from 120 to 3,000 people. And with the Spirit coming to the people from heaven at Pentecost is a unique event. The same Spirit who fell at Jerusalem is the same one that's with us here in Tallahassee. So why can't we see that here? Why can't we see that? Churches should have massive visions to see the gospel go out. Why? Because Jesus gave us a massive vision to take the gospel out. That's why we started our let's go vision. Because we believe this stuff. We want to see people come to faith in Christ and be discipled and become part of his church. And to know what it means to have God dwell in them and be in them and live in them. Those exact same promises that Peter announced are also, which is just such, are just such about the grace of our God, are still the comforting and empowering reality for every person who the same spirit has brought to faith in Jesus Christ. See, in the Old Testament, the Feast of Pentecost, it celebrated God's faithfulness and giving the harvest. And the sending of the Spirit at Pentecost means the harvest of disciples is only 
beginning. Which is why in Luke 10, 2, which is the, really the Bible verse of a vision for our college ministry, where Jesus said to pray for laborers of the harvest to be sent. Pray that it happens. That more people go with this good news. That when you go to work on Monday, when you're in school, when you're home, when you're in your neighborhood, whatever it could be, know the Spirit of God is with you and enables you not only to tell the good news, but to live the good news. We're told in Ephesians 1, we have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing available to us in our salvation. It's important also to know that the message on Pentecost was not the Holy Spirit ultimately, but it was Jesus Christ. It was about Jesus. Look what they say in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, this is Peter, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you use lawless people to nail him to the cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death. So when you read Acts 2, it's easy to get caught in the weeds and go, well, the tongues thing and the this thing. It's most important to know that's not what this part of the passage is trying to accomplish. It's trying to show how God is going to make the name of Jesus Christ, the greatness of his name, the one who holds all things together, who is before all things, the one that salvation is in no one else, that everyone who calls on his name will be saved, that the Spirit's going to allow this message to be proclaimed. So it's easy to hear this and go, okay, I got some information today, but how does this change tomorrow for me? And I want you to ask this question to yourself. How does this change looking at your mission field now knowing for sure that God is with you. Because as we wait for Christ to return, God is with us right now. And we do have a big mission in front of us, but there's a starting point right here in Tallahassee, and the same spirit that came down in Jerusalem is the same spirit that entered your life at the moment of your salvation. That actually awakened you before you even knew and responded and heard that that's how great God is and how powerful his spirit is. The same spirit that awakens you to the good news is the same spirit that enables you to carry on these tasks. So you might say, well, what, what's, how, does this, how does the tongues thing play out today? And then we're gonna get into a little more down the road, but one, it's always important that I say this. A lot of these things in here sound pretty sensational and pretty radical. You might be going, man, I haven't been in church very often. You're talking about like fire coming down and like it's just like, Easy tiger, you're just a little much, you know, kind of thing. Like, it's just, like, I get the morals and all that kind of stuff, but, like, what, this stuff, that's what kind of a hurdle for me. And I just want to encourage you once again, I want to like a broken record, because I say this often, we believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Like, dead guy came back to life three days later. Not just dead guy, God himself. So if we believe, that Je- if we believe in Easter, if we, like, go to H- Nana's for ham and put on pastels and you get your new lily dress on Easter, okay, we can believe this. That's not that radical when we believe that Jesus actually rose from the grave. And because we believe the Bible is the word of God and God has told us this to be true and we've seen the evidence of it go into all the world. We're here today because this took place and this message went out. So to live the Christian life in word and deed is because the spirit is in you. So you can have confidence now knowing that it's not your flesh, it's not your skills, it's not your abilities, it's God in us. In Christmas we celebrate... God being with us, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, the Messiah. We could say Pentecost going forward, we also celebrate that God is with us by the Spirit. And that's wonderful news, just like Christmas was wonderful news.
Different implications, same God, same believers, filling us to go to the ends of the earth. But for Acts, I would say this. Um, does, is God still doing miraculous things today? As my grandpa used to say, you bet your sweet potatoes. Uh, I don't know why he'd bet sweet potatoes, but that's what he used to always say. But you bet your sweet potatoes. And he can do anything he wants to do because he is God. So how, is, how would tongues carry out today? Based on what I see here in Acts 2, well, let's say this. Let's say that you went to a tribe somewhere in deepest, darkest, fill in the blank, that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You could bring your Bible, which you should, but you could bring your Bible, but they can't understand it because it's not in your language. You can't understand them because they don't speak your language, but you want to share the gospel with them. What could happen, this existed today based on Acts 2, is that God would allow the two of you to be able to communicate. The gift of language, the gift of tongues, would allow you to communicate with each other in a known, where the person can understand each other's language, or you can communicate in that person's known language so the name of Jesus can be proclaimed. That was the point of this, that the name of Jesus may be proclaimed. That was the purpose of tongues, so the glory of God's name may be made known. Keep in mind here, they are recognizing these are actual, understandable, known languages that are happening, and they're amazed by it because they're seeing people from all over the place come together who speak different languages, and now they can understand each other proclaiming the goodness and glory of God because what's that symbolizing for us? That we are united in this message despite differences in how we look and where we come from and how we talk and how we sound, but also it reminds us that God is about to do a great work to every tongue, tribe, and nation. That no plan of the devil can ruin it. That will go forward to the ends of the earth. And his name will be made known. And what's amazing is, all who are Christians in this room are recipients of that. Someone told you the gospel by language. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And now we have the same call upon us those first believers had in the book of Acts to continue to go forward with this good news in whatever context God has placed you in. Isn't that incredible to know that God's with us? That it really isn't up to us? Like he is the one in us to do the work that he has called us to? He calls us to the work and then fills us to do the work. How amazing is that? That's how great our God is. Let's pray and then we'll sing some good news together. Go ahead and stand up. We have much to be grateful for. Our Father, we are so thankful that you're a God who is near and not just near, but with us. That our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And how you used to dwell there on earth, now you dwell with us. How amazing that our God is a personal God. That you, the creator of the universe, also know us by name. And purchased us back from the dead. That everyone in this room who knows the name of Jesus only knows that name because you and your grace allowed us to hear it. So I also want to see the same thing happen for others. That you'll use us to carry out your good news in Tallahassee and beyond. For those in this room who don't know you, Lord, I ask their eyes will open, their ears will open, their minds will open, their hearts will open to the name who is above all names. They will understand that you still love the world that you gave your only son. That whoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life. What an amazing thought that our sins can be forgiven that death one day will be no more. Lord, when we see these amazing things happen, like language gifts and 
let us just be amazed by you before anything else. Let that be our first posture, is that we're just amazed by you and the work that you do and the power that you have. Lord, and I ask that one day at our church, we will see 3,000 people come to faith in one day. In one day. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, we ask for more of it, for the gospel to go forward and be carried out, that disciples will be made, that will grow in our faith, that will be serious about our faith, that the spirit being in us will affect every area of our lives, from marriages, friendships, how we view our work, to how we treat people, that everything in our lives will be based on what we believe to be true about you, that we can love you because you first loved us. And we are thankful for all that in the name of Jesus. Amen.